I actually saw God. Hey, nice kiss there, young Zeke. Yep. He killed his better with his feet. Dodge is a damn fine car. Ran over my wife with a Dodge. Would you like a drink or a spanking? You had one chance to talk to the eternal creator of time, space, and the infinite universe. And all you asked is where he got his shoes? Well, did you tell him your football stories? It was God, you idiot! He knows my football stories! This is Michael Moy, creator of Married with Children, and you're listening to the Married with Children podcast. Let's rock. Can I get it open? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your buddy Al. I promised you I would come out of retirement if I landed a very special guest on our podcast, and this is the biggest guest ever. And it's quite an honor indeed. I really cannot believe it. Chris Gunter was able to get a hold of God himself from the Married with Children universe. The creator of Married with Children, Michael Moye. How are you, Michael? I'm fine. How are you? Great, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I also want to introduce my co-host today, who you all know, the great Annabelle. If there is one person I would want here with me today, it's Annabelle, who is our living, breathing encyclopedia of Married with Children information and trivia. Welcome, Annabelle. I'm not here to intimidate you, I swear. That's the last thing I want to do. You know, you are the uh, walking library. <laughs> yeah. I apparently uh, say. I've been warned about you. <laughs> you know, you spoke a little bit to Luigi, and that goes for all of us, man. You have completely changed our whole childhood. I mean, <laughs> like to this day, I mean, this show is still in syndication. It's a part of so many people's lives for generations. Everybody knows it, and everybody knows it as one of the highlights of the 90s. Well, I'm, uh, I'm humbled. I'm flattered. And especially because of uh, it becoming a timestamp now for a lot of people. That's a good feeling. Right. I used to do a horror podcast and, you know, I kind of grew tired of, of that and I still had something in me. I felt like there was something left to do. And I said, you know, one of the biggest loves of my life are the most deserving of a podcast and... Luckily, I didn't see one out yet, and I said, this has to be done. Married with Children podcast flashback. Like Jerry said, landmark, first one. Man, talk about coming out of the gate. Like I said, I was struck by it when I first saw it, about how good the first episode was. It really set up everything and really painted a picture for what was to come, and they just didn't realize how good it would get. 
So when you start off this strong and somehow just get better, because I love the bravery of it. I love the balls of the show. I love how they were like, nothing is like this. Everybody is all into this goody two Cosby kind of thing. And we're going to do something completely different. We're just going to put it out there and see how it goes. And, you know, we don't care. We're fearless. And that's how we're going to go. And that's how the show is going to stay. And, man, what a way to start. So that was the pilot episode of Married with Children. We just reviewed. Hope you enjoyed that. And, uh, gentlemen, this is last call. Oh, it is? Oh, man. Well, before we go, we'll see you. We're going to release this show. It is Friday. It is January 6th. 2017 is the year that we are starting this show because this show started in 1987. So 30 years later, we are here to do this as a tribute to one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. 30 years on the year, and we're doing it every single Friday for, I guess, five years. So we have a long way to go. Uh, This is a great start. So that was four and a half years ago when we started, and we decided to go through the entire library, all 259 episodes, and dissect everything and run through it all. And the thing we were most amazed about was how well the show held up to scrutiny 30 years later. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Right. Like we usually when we do anything, even if we like it, we end up ripping it apart or something like that, you know, like goofing (laughs) on it or whatever. But like we were surprised that we never really did that. We were like, you know, except for the seven stuff, we were like, you know, this is (laughs) that I understand. Um, One of the reasons I think is because we tried we made a concerted effort not to get so topical that it locked us in to a certain time frame. We didn't sit and talk about Watergate. Now we figured most kids today would think Watergate was a battle in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so we didn't, we, we, we tried to stay away from topical things like that, lock us into a certain time. As you can see, we tried to stay away from most of the uh, tropes that were common during that period. Yeah, I mean, we might as well start at the at the beginning. But you began your career in the seventies as a staff writer on Good Times. Yes, and uh, Jimmy JJ Walker even said in an interview that you submitted a script for Good Times that was performed with no edits or virtually no edits, and that's that's a tremendous accomplishment. So, uh, which which episode was that? That was an episode uh, that featured. Uh, you remember Buck. Buffalo Butt, it was an episode that uh, centered around Bookman. Oh, what's going on around here? Either Miss Bookman is crying or the Rats and Roaches starred yodeling. <laughs> Jay, Violet thinks she knows who the other woman is. Who? Me. What? Yes. That's what El Casanova told her. <laughs> and she believed him? She kicked me out. I ain't got no place to stay. You got that right, honey. That's uh, too bad, Bookman. Okay, goodbye. Hey, wait a minute, JJ. My man, old buddy. Look here. I don't want you to worry about me being out in the cold tonight. Because as I see it, I got one or two places I can stay. Oh, yeah? What's number one? Number one is the apartment where the Evans family lives. 
No way, Jose. Brooklyn, you better come up with number two. Number two is the apartment where the Evans family used to live. The uh, entree into uh, all of it was through the uh, Norman Lear Comedy Playwriting Awards at the American College Theater Festival. That's one of the uh, stipends, I guess, was to uh, write a script of one of Norman Lear's shows. And I chose Good Times, the episode with Bookman. Very cool. And, and so after that, and so between about late, I think it was 1979 and 1984-ish, you wrote for the Jeffersons. Right. And in 82, you co-developed Silver Spoons, which ran for about five seasons. Mm-hmm. And then you co-developed It's Your Move. Yes. You also co-developed 227. That apparently was under an alias of yeah. C.J. Banks. Is that right? Yeah. Can you tell yeah. us more about each of those shows and why you used an alias? And we can touch on It's Your Move in just a minute. Well, good times with my... Uh entree into all of this um i joined around the fifth season i think it's it's no secret at that time that good times was having um its issues it was a strange time for me to enter this this entire situation john amos had just left the show i think esther roll had left for a year but she came that was the year she came back and so quite naturally, there was, there was quite a lot of tension on the set at the time. And I found myself in a position almost that I had to decide which side I was going to be on. At this point, I'm a college kid. I mean, two weeks earlier, I'm in a lounge college, you know, playing cards. And now I'm put in a position of having to decide which direction I'd like, you know, a hit television show to go. I kind of went with the Jimmy side a little bit because I figured we were we were here to do comedy. I enjoy making people laugh a little bit more than I am setting anybody's uh, moral compass. And so I kind of went with Jimmy there. And the, the bookman show, by the way, was you know I went with uh, with Johnny Brown because he was also was very funny. And so I didn't, I didn't have to, you know, put J.J. Walker in a chicken hat to make him funny. Um, I used, you know, what the tools at my disposal. A, about a year and a half, I went to the Jeffersons after Good Times ended, and the Jeffersons, Jeffersons was a lot more like a family. I I could breathe. Um, everybody seemed to be growing in the same direction. So it was a lot less stressful for me. I stayed in Jefferson. I started as a story editor and rose to producer. I stayed there over five years. Had uh, a great time, great people. From the Jeffersons, I think Silver Spoons, you mentioned, came first. Silver Spoons was interesting. Silver Spoons came through. At that time, in order to make your bones in uh, Hollywood as a television writer. Um, show you can you could do hit shows like Good Times, The Jeffersons, whatever, but there was always hanging over your head 
can he write white? You know, I was hit with can he write white? So I'm thinking, what is the whitest possible show I can think of? And it was something like Silver Spoons. I wound up as part of uh, Silver Spoons just to prove that I can basically write any television trope dialect. But I, and I stayed during the pilot because it's, you know, it wasn't quite my type of show. It was a little, it was, it was syrupy and gooey and, you know, that's what they wanted. And that's what I gave them. But I still wanted to break out of that. And so It's Your Move came along. I had met Ron Levitt on The Jeffersons. Ron and I, really, we had the same creative issues with uh, the television uh, as it was uh, then in that we wanted to make it just a little more edgy, you know, and a little less gooey. And that, that's what we referred to a lot of the families of Thomas, uh, you know, of the day we, as gooey. And we wanted to be, be a little less gooey. So uh, we did uh, It's Your Move, which was really a precursor to uh, Married with Children in that we had uh, a, young, a young boy who had an edge, who was just a little, a little bit thuggish. He was the kid that you could go to to get purchase answers to tests coming up. He would blackmail teachers. He would get ahead a, a little differently than most of the kids on television, on television then. And this ran on NBC. I think I think we did 14, 15 episodes. Uh, I think the deciding factor in this cancellation was that a lot of the mail they apparently got from parents bordered on outrage because they said, kids don't act like this. They don't behave like this. This is terrible. What are you doing? These aren't what kids do. Then we'd also get mail from kids who would say, this is the realest show that's ever been on the <laughs> This is exactly how we are. No, no one, you know, this is, but parents went out, of course, because, you know, then they held the purse strings, I guess. And uh, Ron and I, from there, we uh, went, into, went into development. I did do 227, which was based on uh, a play that uh, Norman had seen and wanted to develop a show around and he brought me in to help uh, do the teleplay. I uh, used a pseudonym because I didn't feel like I had enough input to take a developed by, created by credit. It was a bit of a collaboration. It was, I didn't feel like it was really me. I used a pseudonym um, on that show. From there, Ron and I went into development, which sort of means we would come into the office and you know watch the Love Connection and go home. After being in development for a few months or so, then came the genesis of uh, Married with Children. Wow! And a lot of our podcast hosts have seen "It's Your Move," and mm -hmm. it is available on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't seen it for a few years now, but uh, some of the other podcast hosts have watched it quite recently and they've sort of discovered a, a proto-married with children 
in a lot of ways. There's even some similarities in some of the episodes. If you watch It's Your Move and watch the first couple of seasons of Married with Children, for example, and there's a lot of um, similar crew, similar writing staff in, uh-huh. in the credits. So, But what were the differences in constraints, if there were any, between the two shows that allowed you to be more unfettered with Married with Children versus the change in character direction that happened with It's Your Move at its end? Well, you know, It's Your Move was an NBC show. At the network, you know, had its way, NBC, of doing things. They had, a long, they had standard practices. They, they knew what they wanted. And you sort of had to write to their standard practices. You, you, you kind of knew if you were doing a network show at the time, you kind of knew what the gatekeepers wanted. They, 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 you knew what they would allow and not allow. Obviously, they were big on uh, uh, setting moral compasses. You know, certain people had to be good. The, the very end, everybody had to love each other. Everything had to be done for altruistic reasons. Every, you know, and uh, things just had to work out. And everybody just had to be happy and, and hugged up. Now, with married with children, uh, we're dealing with not we're dealing with a brand new network, a network who came out of the box saying we're going to present programming that you would not see or not find on uh, other networks. Broadcasting Company. Introducing the Bundys of Chicago, a family like you've never seen. Mom, Dad, I you're grounded. Al Bundy, a real man's man. Now I'm going to watch the news, and when it's over, I want some form of dead animal on my plate. His lovely wife, Peggy. Don't mind Al. It's just his time of the month. <laughs> They're two wonderful children. You're disgusting. And you're failing five classes. And they're newlywed neighbors. I love you, Marcy. I love you, Steve. I hate them, Peg. They hate you, Al. They're not the Cosby's. They're the Bundy's. And they're married with children. So Ron and I took that to heart. We, we ran with it. We were married with children. Now, believe it or not, Fox then had uh, a bit of a standard practice. They didn't have a standard practices department like the other networks um, because they were trying to do something different and they were trying to do more edgy material. But we were more unfettered because, you know, that's what we wanted. That's what we asked for. Because for us to come over on a Fox show, we understood that, uh, you know, they're taking a chance. You know, our company is paying us money and they're paying us money and 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 they're putting on a show that they're putting us on a network that uh, didn't exist the week before. And so in order for us to make that leap, in order for us to take that chance, we asked for certain things. A lessening a grip with standard practices was one. For the show to be tested was another. 
there's uh, quite a few things we asked for. And, you know, they said, you know, they, they agreed to. Now, of course, being the network, they kind of went back on everything. That's what we ran out of the barn with, really. Um, we didn't have the constraints that uh, we would have had on NBC, CBS, ABC. Huh. Now, you talked earlier about writing white. So that brings me to this question. Is the legend true that the Bundys were originally supposed to have been an African-American family? Well, no, no I've heard this story before. It's uh, gotten a little muddled over the years. No, the Bundys could not have... It could not have been African-American because in television, um, you know, perception is a reality in television. You know, and for the Bundys to have been African-American would have made me the KKK man of the year. <laughs> that got a little confused. There were, there were things I was trying to do at that point. Interesting at that time, when I first became a television writer, uh, a black television writer, um, a lot of people, blacks included, were a little disappointed in that I didn't come from Harlem, Cabrini Green in Chicago, or South Central or Watts, Los Angeles. Apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently you have to be from one of those three places or you were a real black man. And so I hadn't come from, I came, I was born in New Haven, Connecticut, Ironically, same place Norman Lear was born and right. uh, raised and sort of raised in the South, uh, North Carolina. You know, I had uh, a little bit more of a challenge pro- to prove myself to everybody that I could write white, that I could write black, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, what they portrayed as black then. You know, that's what I set out to do. And, uh, you did it well. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. So one thing that everyone is is so curious, like we, uh, the way you like destroy shoe salesmen in this show, uh, like we we all do this thing where we like try to bring it into real terms. So we might as well hear it from the horse's mouth. Why was Al Bundy a shoe salesman? Like what specific reason was that profession chosen like because we really were trying to actually figure it out ourselves and all we found was we thought it might be a nod to don rickles on the carol burnett show that skit he did as a shoe salesman no actually we spent a lot of time um trying to develop a career for for al bundy believe it or not al bundy was very very close to working at the dmv yeah, it's just what I want to do tomorrow. Spend the day at the DMV. Eight hours in line with a bunch of foreigners who smell like vegetables. <laughs> Naturally, I'll be in the wrong line. My line will be the one where they're barbecuing the chihuahua. <laughs> oh, wow. What we were going for was we're looking for a job that people would understand why Al Bundy hated his job. So the DMV became a natural. That was his lead profession for a while until we met. And we had an associate whose wife married way over her head. And so she became someone who really looked for new and creative ways to spend money. One of the things that she had was a traveling, believe it or not, only in L.A., 
a traveling shoe salesman <laughs> who would come out. This this poor guy would come out, would drive his, his truck and his wares out and demonstrate, show his wares, show his shoes. And at one, we had heard one story where he came to a house. She was going to get some shoes. Her daughter, who was like six or seven years old, was also, he wanted to get some shoes for her daughter. And so this, this poor guy is, is on his knees, putting uh, shoes on her, putting his shoes on his daughter. And this little girl is yelling and berating this man. I mean, both of them were doing it, <laughs> but they were just yelling and berating because the shoe was too tight, the shoe was too pink, the shoe didn't look good, the, shoe, uh, the buckle hurt. Does this look like pink to you? <laughs> I said pink! Pink, you bone top! <laughs> A thousand pardons, my little carbuncle. With this attitude, you're going to be working here for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, take a gander into the seat next to you if you want to see what your future looks like. Come, Penelope. Let's go someplace where they treat us with respect. Uh, try the moon. You'll weigh less there. <laughs> and we looked at this and we heard the story. We said, now, what's worse than this? <laughs> if you have to have a life at all, selling shoes, you know, wow. has to be about the worst thing. Worse even than the DMV. Oh, sure, on the surface, selling women's shoes is fun. <laughs> but once you cut through all the hype, the myths, the glamour, it's really very much like any minimum wage paying slow death. Wow, that's a great story to explain that. <laughs> and, and I'm glad you got to finally realize the DMV thing when you wrote it for Bud. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we had planned to do. Should Bud have had his own show? You know, we weren't going to let the DMV thing die because next to selling women's shoes, that's got to be second. As far as, you know, the worst job you could have. Well, congratulations, bud. This looks like a great place to work. Oh, yes, Dad. Yeah, you haven't lived until you've given a driving test to a 97-year-old Lithuanian woman who quaintly brought her, who quaintly brought her lucky cheese with her. the thrill of riding the expressway at 17 miles an hour. <laughs> slamming on the brakes for every single car that passes us. Ah, but the best part was high noon in said unair-conditioned car, when both cheese and woman ripened nicely. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dad. It's a great place to work. Yes. <laughs> So if so, Bud had his own show today, would he be working at the DMV or something like that? Yeah, we wanted him to be a, a, a driving instructor. <laughs> okay. Uh, so every day, you know, he's driving with a first-time driver, a kid, an old woman, just anyone who would torture him. You know, <laughs> uh, he didn't have a great life either. So, But we, we weren't going to let the uh, DMV thing drop. <laughs> Yeah. For this character, Al, that was considered misogynistic, what do you say to people when many on your writing staff were women? Al was an amalgamation of the entire writing staff. He 
wasn't just created by guys. I mean, we all had our stories. We all had uh, our growing up, our parents. Al, in our minds, was a little bit more of a traditionalist. They were, judging by our mail, quite a lot of Al Bundy's, (laughs) especially during that time. Right. Uh, Going back to, uh, you know, the show's lasting, you know, the way the show has lasted, it is because, you know, the women, the men, everybody, you know, we none of us were sensitive like today. Right. You know, we had a bit of a thicker skin like today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and speaking of thick skins and our parents' skins, we were thicker. So we just brought that ahead with us. You know, Al Bundy is, you know, there's a lot of Al Bundys. You know, my father was an Al Bundy. You know, every you know, all of our fathers were Al Bundys. And if you're not, you aspire to be. Of <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and a lot of women, uh, you know, television they get they don't like to talk about it, but a lot of women aspire to be Peggy Bundy. Hey, excuse me. What do you do? Oh, uh, I don't know. Nothing really. I watch TV. Well, then how do you make money? Easy. My husband has a job. He brings home a paycheck. And what he doesn't give to me, I take. (laughs) Wow. Hey, Becky, come here. You got to hear this. (laughs) There were a lot of women that did work. Hell, I I want to watch TV. I want to see on. I want to work. Right. Working is hard. Why would I want to do that? But I can watch TV. And eat bonbons. It's perfect. Let's clear up a few misconceptions. There are two things Peggy Bundy doesn't do. Number one, cook, clean, sew, vacuum, iron, and parent. And number two, exercise. Absolutely. (laughs) We pretty much did, that's the way we went with all the characters. Right, and it's funny that you say how, like, how uh, people were not as sensitive back then as they are today. And it it baffles me. And believe me, I don't want this to change. But it's amazing that the show is in syndication. Sometimes I always wonder how it has not been attacked yet, you know, by... I'm with you. With cancel culture. Yeah, I thought by now it definitely would have been. I'm glad it's not, but I definitely thought it would have been. No, I... I think in a couple of episodes, we almost alluded to the uh, development of Kessel culture. You know, Al's show, Psycho Dad, and, uh, um, you know, Marcy's campaign against it and things like that. You know, we, uh, I don't know, maybe they see a little bit in themselves and uh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And they just leave it be. (laughs) They just, yeah, I mean, to say, you know, because they know what will come back with right 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 (laughs) so in conclusion i'd like to say the next time you want to find the source of violence try looking on the other side of the screen thank you and god save the queen (laughs) so like another al decision um so this Dodge, <laughs> so that was chosen as the epitome of like the lamest car on the planet. And what's what's more important, maybe, or more baffling to people is why Dodge and why was the car actually a Plymouth Duster instead of a Dodge? 
Now, the second question I can't answer because uh, <laughs> only the prop guys can tell you why it was a Plymouth Duster. Hey, Daddy. I'm afraid I got some more bad news. Now, I thought I'd check the lost and found. Oh, this ought to be good. <laughs> there were no Dodges. There was a nice Plymouth, though. Oh, Al. I don't want a Plymouth peg. I want my Dodge, Dagnabbit. Dagnabbit? What'd you do, get the hooked on phonics Yosemite Sam tape? <laughs> this is ridiculous. How can our car just disappear? Mm -hmm. Siegfried and Roy make that tiger disappear. Well, we all know where that goes. Look, Bundy, we don't want you to go away dissatisfied customer. So here's a card good for one free car wash. No, this is ridiculous. I'm going to retrace my steps. Somewhere in this car wash is a Dodge with my name on it. Gee, I didn't know they made a Dodge loser. <laughs> you know, a, 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 a the reason it was a Dodge, because why wouldn't it be a Dodge? What other car would he have? Here we go, son. Saturday afternoon, working on the car. Just like when you were a kid, eh, son? Sure is, Dad. In fact, it's the same exact car. <laughs> you know, bud, someday this car is going to be yours. Thanks, Dad. Please, please don't paint it, okay? Yeah. It is cool. These here are the sleekest, sexiest lines American engineers could come up with. Well, just the name itself bespeaks power and wealth. Dodge. That about says it all. Right. You know, other than perhaps a station wagon. Right, like the Griswold. Yeah, then you just want to kill yourself. You you don't even want to, <laughs> you know, you know, because Dodge for some reason to Albany was synonymous with failure. <laughs> it really was, right. you know. But I love how you made him view it as as a piece of Americana, and he was like proud of the Dodge. Al had his favorite thing. That's why I say he was a bit of a traditionalist. I love this Dodge. <laughs> Now, come on, Grumpy. You know you love me. Go on. Say it. I don't want to. Come on, Al. I love beer. I love bowling. I don't want to cheapen the meaning of the word. You know, Al loved his barber. Hey, going to Tony was a family tradition. My father went to him. I went to him. I took Bud to him. Until the other kids started calling Bud the bullhead. <laughs> And it broke my heart when Bud refused to go. I had to tell Tony Bud died. <laughs> we wept together. That's the kind of guy Tony was. Everybody loved him. Sorry I'm late, but I wanted to wait till they packed the dirt over the old butcher. <laughs> Al loved this toilet. I am telling you, Marcy. Al loves that toilet bowl more than he does me. Oh, Peggy, don't be ridiculous. All right, Peg. Daddy loves you. What does that toilet have that I don't? A job. You know, there's certain things that Al, you know, that were just of Al Bundy. Right, his barbecue ashes. Steve, how's your burger? 
You know, I hate to admit it, but this is the best burger I've ever had. What's your secret? Well, I sneak over to the nudie place a couple of times a month in order to make it through life. No, uh, I meant about your burgers. Oh, oh. No, the secret's in the ashes, Steve. See, I never clean my grill. Ashes from the past for burgers of the future. Yeah, Al definitely had his favorite things. Speaking of favorite things, I'm just going to list off and just if these jog your memory and then I have a follow up with this. So he thought he could. Girls just want to have fun. You better watch out. Impotent. Life's a beach. Hot off the grill. Desperately seeking Miss October. It's a Bundy for life. You better shop around. Like, those are just to name a few of what fans feel are iconic classics, like masterpieces of comedy sitcom. Were you guys aware that you had so many masterpieces among your body of work? Like, what was your source of feedback that made you aware of such great feats? Well, uh... Personally speaking, my favorite episodes were episodes that anyone could find themselves thrust into, that people understood and could actually sympathize with Al. We knew that we would get um, pretty good feedback because a lot of the things that Al went through were things that at least we all had a taste of. So... We, cause we, we, we did empathize with, we empathized with the guy. We uh, empathized uh, when Al uh, tried to fix the roof uh, by himself mm-hmm. um, because that's what a lot of guys would at least want to do. You know, they wouldn't uh, want to a, pay a plumber or a roofer or anything like that. They could do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would fail miserably at it. As most wives could tell you, but they would, but they would try. Al, be sensible. Just call a professional roofer. There, right there, Peg is the problem with America. We've lost our spirit of self-reliance. Something's leaking. Call someone. Something's broken. Call someone. One of the kids suffers a ruptured appendix. Call someone. <laughs> Whatever happened to the old American spirit of I can fix it myself? What happened to rugged American manhood? We don't know yet, Dad. Kelly's tests aren't back from the lab. (laughs) Those were the type of episodes that were my favorite that would at least start off on a topic that uh, was identifiable for most people. You know, we didn't set out to uh, make any one show special. Uh, That was another trope we, we fought against because, as you know, Back then, you know, there was a thing with television about a very special episode tonight, a very special episode. We promised <laughs> that we would never do a very special episode. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> For that, we're all thankful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're thankful too. Yeah, oh, very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of fixing things, quote unquote, and was talking about It's a Wonderful Life as one of the standout episodes. In that two-parter, you had Ted McGinley come in as Norman Jablonski. Mm-hmm. And then during season four, 
uh, Steve himself, David Garrison, leaves the show. So can you talk us through the addition of the character of Jefferson after Garrison's exit and is, is Married to Children where you first found Ted McGinley? Well, Ron knew Ted McGinley from Happy Days. Yeah. When Garrison left, we brought uh, Ted McGinley in. You know, interestingly, we put a great deal of work into uh, his character, a, 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 a lot more work than you would think into uh, his character because we didn't want him to just replace Stephen Rhodes. Right. A lot of television shows do that, and hey, hey, where did Norman Fell come from? You know, so we we didn't want to do that. So we actually try to give uh, Jefferson a little bit of a backstory, some that never really came through in the writing, but we always try to make it a little bit mysterious where Jefferson, you know, where Jefferson came from. What what was he an actual? CIA operative at one time who had his mind erased. I mean, I, I actually have heard that put out there. And we pl- tried to play Jefferson as a little bit of a man of mystery um, that you really didn't know that much about his past. So we could sort of take him in a couple of directions. I still say that you will never get into the Senate. We will so. Jefferson said he knows people in high places. Jefferson knows Jack. <laughs> when are you going to stop telling the buffoons these fanciful James Bondian tales of daring do? You know, if you were half as creative with your job resume as you... Good evening, Bullwinkle. Hello, Chopper, Geronimo. Long time no see. What's up? Iraq, I ran, I married. <laughs> <laughs> So what time do you need the bird? Zero six hundred will be fine. Cool. Over. Out. You know, we are really going to have to talk about your past someday. We even, I believe in one episode, one of the kids, Bud or Kelly, I can't remember which one, mentioned that they'd actually thought they saw Jefferson on Happy Days. What was it like working on Happy Days? <laughs> I'm telling you, kid, I was not on Happy Days, okay? My name is Darcy, Jefferson Darcy. Was that your name on Love Boat? Oh, beat it! <laughs> Damn, kids, I can hardly go out in public anymore. Right, right, yeah. So that was a little, you know, so we kind of bent the universe. A little mm-hmm. bit there, um, you never so you never really was sure what Jefferson did or what he was all about. But there was something awfully mysterious about Jefferson. That's kind of uh, how he wanted to run with uh, him, make him a little bit different. Steve was, and we've got as much positive feedback for him as we did for uh, David Garrison. You know, the characters are totally different, but we got a lot of positive feedback from both of them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the process, though? Like, what was the conversation you had? And did you go, well, we would love to, Ted, but we kind of used you already for It's a Bundy Full Life, so I don't think this is going to work out. Like, did any of that 
conversation take place? And then someone said, ah, screw it. Who cares? Just put him on. Well, and because of his performance in Wonderful Life, we really warmed up to the guy. He seemed to fit in wonderfully with the rest of the cast um, when he was Jablonski. So how about joining me in a Woe Jablonski? Jablonski! We did talk about when we wanted to do uh, Jefferson. We uh, did talk about bringing in other actors, but Ted was always on uh, our list of favorites, even though he had done the show before. It didn't really concern us that uh, he had played that character before. You know, that that character, you wanted to get really technical about it. That character was, a, you know, pretty much a dream anyway, so it didn't right. exist. <laughs> you know? So, um, so it wasn't like... Uh, uh, here, he, here he is again. Right. And was was Jefferson named Jefferson because you and Ron had worked on the Jeffersons and Ted's character in Happy Days, I I believe, worked at Jefferson High School. Was that a conscious decision? I think more that uh, that he that he worked at uh, Jefferson High School because, like I said, Ron knew uh, Ted and knew of Ted's work a lot more than I did. Right. Usually, we had named uh, a lot of our characters after professional wrestlers. Jefferson might have come from uh, Ron's knowing him back in Paramount. Okay. So, um, speaking of adding characters, I, we really have to get your <laughs> thoughts on this, but what was the thought process behind introducing the character of Seven? Okay. Was that... Was that some sort of pressure from from networks and studio executives who wanted the uh, like another kid, the additional little kid, or because yeah, the yeah. Bart and uh, Kelly were getting older? Is that the one who's going to give me money? Yeah, that's the rich one. Go bond with him. <laughs> I love you, you big lug. Give me money. <laughs> Do you know where your knee is? Yes, I do. So give me money. <laughs> so, yeah, su- surprisingly, that was a network idea. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, by that time, seventh season, Fox, you know, slowly it was becoming a network. So they started thinking like a network. You know, the uh, the trope of bringing in, you know, a younger kid to keep the children and married with children. They thought bringing in uh, seven was a good idea, and uh, and it wasn't. So, <laughs> yeah, we saw. Uh, again, <laughs> again, surprisingly enough, that uh, a network idea wasn't good, but uh, no, it, it wasn't. So when when did the network relent and 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 then decide to um, cut him loose altogether? Um, did that? They, they must have been getting some feedback on this character. I think I think toward the end of the season, that's why that's why I think they stopped really even caring. That's why um, we had seven go upstairs and never be seen again. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and there wasn't any talk about what happened and all of that. They, I guess, it was their way of just saying, uh, "We're sorry." <laughs> yeah. Apology accepted. Yeah. 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 
can you can you take us through the conversations of um like you talking to his agent or parents and like saying listen we have to drastically scale back this character before, you know because it's like not going over well like did because i it was obviously you know you obviously had him do like apparent like eventually one thing and that was it like did you have that conversation i never not personally i didn't have that season uh, th- that season the seventh season i had kind of stepped away from married in a little bit mm. so i really didn't have a, a talk with uh his parents or his agent or his manager. I know that uh, there wasn't a lot of satisfaction with the character. He really from the, toward the middle of that season on, because it just wasn't that type of thing. He wasn't, he would not fit into the uh, Bundy household, the Bundy culture. Right. Uh, it was a tough fit for him. And he could have the same kind of attitude as the rest of them, but it, instead of being cool, it came off as annoying because he wasn't one of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> and that's, right. that's that's really how I think the audience felt. He wasn't one of us, right? Because you know they always took the Bundys, the heart. It was always us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and which is what we which is what we wanted. You said the show became um, like you stepped away a little bit around that season. So coincidentally, around that time, the show became more of a live action cartoon, specifically, you know, around season eight. And I mean, you've had moments, of course, with the, you know, the groundhog and fixing, you know, Alan Jefferson electrocuting each other and whatnot. But like it, it really became like a live action cartoon as time went on. It went from like basically a biting reality in season one to like a whimsical fantasy really so how how did that happen would you say and and why do you think that happened well uh, yeah as the years went on you know it's it was harder and harder to find those little nuggets story nuggets that i alluded to earlier that people could identify with Mm. and while we would look for those we went through a period and i call you you know, I, I call it I call it a period where we kind of let the audience drive. We uh, noticed that uh, things that uh, the characters did, the audience liked, and we kind of went in that direction. It was our way of saying thank you to them for the support they gave us in the earlier years. Right. That. Uh, you know, now we're giving back to them. Do you think The Simpsons had anything to do with it at all, or no? Not really. Not really. First and foremost, we were there to make the audience laugh. Hmm. And we had gotten to the point, particularly during the later years, where, you know, we would, uh, I mean, you talk about jumping the shark. We would, we would, we would pole vault the ocean, man. We would do nothing. <laughs> There's virtually nothing we we didn't do that they, you know, the audience thought it was funny. So, yeah, we would uh, send up uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. We would uh, do things like that. You know, I really feel good. Karen? That's Al, folks. <laughs> the, the audience was right there. Even those years. 
you know, we were accomplishing what we had set out. Um, we wanted for just 30 minutes a week on Sunday hmm. for our audience to sit in front of our, sit in front of the television and totally, totally leave reality. Right. You know, and just have a good time. Don't think about your job. Don't think about your kids. Don't think about your in-laws. Don't think about any of that stuff. Just have a good time. And whether or not Al was complaining about his job or anything like that or, or, or falling off the roof, <laughs> you know, it, it, it really didn't matter. It accomplished the same goal. Right. And, and people would just sit back and enjoy themselves, sit back for the ride. Absolutely. We all did. And yeah, even it getting you know to that tone it was still on our it was still vibing with us and we still enjoy like i i recently just watched season 11 and i th- i thought it was really good I, I you know i i didn't think there was any, you know like usually by the time a show gets to that point it's like basically unwatchable but not this show like it was it was still strong and it did exactly what you said it, it set out to do yeah that i think you you could you could owe, owe that debt of gratitude to the to the cast was beloved by the audience like mm-hmm. they they were one of us right that's what we wanted it to be yeah it was yeah you know your involvement even at this point like when you and ron split up how was it decided who would stay with married with children and who would go off and do something different can you take us through that conversation well um i had uh i had actually left and I come, came back to Connecticut uh, during that time. Every conversation they had with Ron, I think it was decided that Ron was, would be better suited doing another show for uh, you know, uh, another company, things mm-hmm. like that. And so they did call and reach out to me um, to come and do um, a couple more seasons of Married. And they and they kind of brought me back, but uh, originally that that was the year that we were both going to leave the show. Okay. Of the uh, the last season when we did. Oh, so you were both going to leave. The network was going to hold on to the show, and they asked you to come back. Yeah. Okay. As you know, the show was cut short in season eleven without a big grand finale. So. In retrospect, had you had the chance to write a proper series finale, what do you did you have any end game goal? Like, what would you have done with it? You know, we didn't really uh, discuss it, Ron and I, um, because at that point Ron was off doing his thing, um, and, and I and I had the final season. I had stepped away. It was a whole new set of producers. And uh, so we really didn't uh, talk about it much, only in the broadest terms that had we known, because they didn't tell us, you know, that we didn't know that the 11th season was going to be our last season. Mm -hmm. Had we known for sure that's what the direction they were going in, Ron and I would have probably come back and done at least the final episode. Oh, so you were on speaking terms and enough to to get back with him and do one last thing. Oh yeah. Oh good. Yeah. And, That's but, good. Yeah. But we didn't. Uh, we weren't aware. Neither was the cast. Actually, 
that uh, that eleventh season was the final season. Right. You know? We've had stories that the cast here about the show's cancellation after the season had finished. You know, for example, Christina heard it on the radio, and Ed tells a story how he he was on vacation, and a couple comes up to him and says, "Oh, sorry about your show." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, yeah that, that, that's that. Sadly, that's kind of how it happened. You know, we were. Yeah, all, I suppose that's show business. Yeah, we were uh, after eleven years. Not too yeah. surprising. But we did find out we were all scattered to the winds already because it was uh, summer. But we did find out in uh, pretty unconventional ways. Mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. And you and Ron and a lot of crew members, in fact, have appeared on the show sort of sprinkled throughout with both speaking and non-speaking roles. And I think if you if you know who to look for, you can spot crew members here and there. But I'm just wondering if you had a favourite appearance that of yours in the show, perhaps in your oft-quoted character in Route 666, that, you that, young Zeke. <laughs> Dodge is a damn fine car. Ran over my wife with a Dodge. <laughs> That was probably my favorite appearance. <laughs> yeah. We, speaking of the crew, you know, we got along marvelously with our crew members. We really did become, you know, just a huge family. We weren't, Ron and I weren't the type of uh, egocentric producers that, you know, would sit at three o'clock in the morning and try to come up with a joke about curtains or things like that um, <laughs> yeah. we, we would listen to anybody and, and many times you know the, uh, someone on the crew if they thought they had you know a better joke or a better a better twist than what we had in the show and we had no problem listening to them and it was more than a few times we've taken jokes and notes from is anyone on the crew uh, on the show because uh as far as as far as I was concerned, you know, in, in Hollywood parlance, you know, a lot of times when they talk about the talent, they're talking about the actors. And that's what they mean when they say, "Well, you know, we'll talk to the talent." We'll do the talent. Mm-hmm. I was always the kind of guy that said, "You know, all these people are talented. You know, these guys that can run the camera. Hell, I can't do that. <laughs> um, the prop guys who can find." A Dodge, like like Al Dodge, I, I can't do that. You know these guys, the lighting guys who know Kelvin temperatures and all of that. I, I, editors, I can't do, do that. To I me, mean, they're all the talent. So when I hear the talent, I'm thinking everybody. You know the writers. God knows the writers were the talent. I mean, you know they were sort of the unsung heroes of the show. You know we would get involved in the show we would make our appearances um we didn't have any any qualms about uh if uh somebody on the cast um, on the crew wanted to get more involved you know it was it was all a hoot for us just we were just having fun yeah i i believe you and i think that comes through and certainly the cast always speaks highly of the crew in interviews that i've seen over the years and when you guys went to England, there's a lot of crew members spotted in that, and you had a you had a role as a, a man in a bondage club in that. Yeah. Bye. 
bad Americans. Must be Shakespeare. Taming of the Shrew, I believe. Would you like a drink or a spanking? That was that was that was a wild episode. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that episode. I would have ideally liked a little bit more story in that episode. That was the only problem I had with the episode. You know, I understand the network's position in uh, wanting to show as much of England as they can, but I was a little disappointed in that episode because I think it went away from what we started. Mm. Right. Uh, I, you know, we started, I re- and I really liked the way we started. What started the, the curse of the Bundys was that uh, Al's ancestor insulted, uh, as a cobbler, of course, insulted uh, reputed witch, you know, a couple of centuries ago. And she cursed the family forevermore. Say, Miss McBundy, are you done with me, horse? Uh, no, ma'am. I had to send out for extra parts to reinforce its feet. <laughs> that and a sign to go round his neck saying, I'm with Fatso. You save your tongue for picking the flies off the pools that dance beneath your arms. Go to. I'm in a nurry. Oh? Is it the festival of pork pies and pig swallow you're late for? <laughs> While you're waiting, I've got a plump pony out back you can snack on. You'll be warned. I am a great and powerful witch. Uh, not as powerful as yon mighty seams in yon dress to keep yon belly off yon floor. <laughs> That's it. I curse thee, Seamus McBundy, and all thy male descendants. Henceforth, ye shall only shew the large and ungrateful. Ooh, yikes! Saveth me! And so that ye and all your male descendants will be hated in this place forever, Laurentin shall always be in darkness, though other towns nearby stand in sun. Oh, will you be floating above us, blocking the sun? (laughs) Just for that, throughout eternity your feet will sweat. Aye, and verily smell. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen a little bit more that more dressed and but it became a little bit more of a travelogue than I would have liked but I can understand it I mean we're in England we can't just sit in the house and talk about how to remove a curse so right yeah I yeah, can, that's I can fair. go with that um, I've got a random question for you Michael something I've always wondered about the show is we never learn Marcy's maiden name so I'm just wondering if she ever had one we never officially gave her one. We, uh, we, we, we assume it would have been a, a wrestler's name, maybe. Probably. Probably. <laughs> probably uh, yeah. Yeah. And in a yeah. similar vein, how did you guys come up with the uh, maiden name for Peggy as Wanker? We weren't. We, I didn't think Wanker was, was a, a, a curse word. <laughs> I knew it was a naughty word, a naughty British word. But I didn't know to the depths um, that Wanker became just this, just this oaf that you think. 
Peggy? Peggy, wanker, don't bother to thank her. <laughs> Connie, Connie Bender, bring a friend, it won't offend her. <laughs> but um, that we sort of came up with it because we thought it was funny. Uh, we, we, we actually had Peggy's entire ancestry um, around the, around Wanker. Um, she lived in uh, her all Easter family, uh, lived in Wanker County. Right. Yeah. And uh, she was, uh, their family was a little bit of, uh, imp- pretty important in Wanker County because being an original Wanker, you know, uh, gave her, uh, gave her quite, quite a push in Wanker County. Elena, tell him what you want to do. I want to marry. Um, somebody outside the family, right? Well, in Wanker County, nobody's really outside the family. Um, well, how about that boy John who works at the feed store? Yeah. I guess he's family. (laughs) So, but we we didn't know, actually, going in it. That wanker meant what what it means. Yeah, I just I found it very amusing because wanker in America meant something different than it does in us in England and here in Australia. So so much so that um, when the show aired in England in a sort of an earlier time slot, they would remove every reference to the name wanker. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I I can understand that. Yeah, because uh, we we didn't know either. No, I think it's funny. You you guys are funny without even knowing you're funny. <laughs> well, certainly that time we were. Um, <laughs> after we found out, we kept it going. We didn't go crazy with it, but uh, <laughs> we didn't change it. Right. Um, another random question I have for you is: um, there's a, a shocking lack of releases on Blu-ray, and there's there's lack of extras on on the official DVD releases. And I'm just wondering if you'd ever been approached or would have liked to have provided some DVD audio commentaries on some episodes? No, we, no, no, we haven't been uh, approached to uh, comment on the DVDs. I went out and I had to get a set of DVDs about a year or two ago, but uh, I wasn't even that aware of what was not available on DVDs, the even flushing out of DVDs. We never felt going along the way that uh, a lot of effort was put into the promotion of the show. We never felt that we got the uh, promotion that we should have gotten. Things like that aren't surprising that there's there's not been a lot of effort put into uh, providing all the frills and extras that were afforded other shows. Right. And the show lives on despite that. And it's it stays strong despite that. And and look, they don't do it. So we took it upon ourselves in doing it with this podcast, you know. Then and, and that's why we, uh, like I said, let our audience drive. You know, our audience, you know, might not have been the biggest, but they were so fierce and so loyal. And they always had our best. Oh, yeah. That did help us. And we felt that, you know, we uh, we acknowledged that we we took that to heart, and uh, 
we tried our best to work with that. But as far as, uh, you know, the promotion that a lot of other shows got, we never felt that we got that. That same push. Yeah, we never felt that we got what we deserved. Wow. Except, for, except from the people. And I guess that's uh, right. that means the most. Oh, and at the end of the day, it absolutely means the most, you know? Like, what do executives know anyway, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Were there any ideas about the show that never made it to screen? Well, in the very, very beginning, the show was a little bit different. The, the characters, the actors, brought a whole lot to the show. The character Peggy, we envisioned Peggy as a bit of a frumpy housefrau. She was uh, the type of, she was in a robe with curlers and very, very seldom would move. Um, right. Kate was the one who brought the capri pants and big hair mm-hmm. and made, and made uh, Peggy hot. Right. Um, Kelly and Bud were totally different uh, in our mind. Um, we're totally different uh, people. Yeah. Wow. Faustino, Christina, you know, you know, help really helped develop those characters. You know, and Ed, you know, he 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 brought, uh, you know, he he brought that downtrodden attitude from his uncle. Well, you know, you know, I want to ask you about that actually with Ed, real quick. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, obviously, you know more than anybody that he was so different. In season one, compared to, like, I guess season two is the bridge, but let's just say from season one to season three, it's almost two different people. Mm. How did that happen? Did did you want him to be, like, less stern and grumpy and more co- comedic, I guess? Well, we definitely wanted him to be uh, a, a, a lot more downtrodden, you know, Um than he was maybe in the beginning. He talked a good game in the beginning, Al Bundy, but uh, as the season went on, we wanted to show that a little bit more, the defeat in the man, you know, as the uh, hunch in his back would grow. That's really what we, you know, we we, we would strive for. In the uh, very first season, as, as funny, you know, as funny as it, as it was, you know, if you look close, you could almost like see a, a glimmer of hope and defiance in his eyes. Right. And uh, we wanted to remove that. Okay. okay, yeah. Because it's, it's way more grounded. Uh, his character, for sure, more than anybody's, is way more grounded in that season. And then you get to, like, have more... It seems you have more fun with his character as time goes on. E- even before... It became, you know, like when you stepped away a little bit before the cartoonish era, even even in the good stuff. It was definitely like he, he would never do what he did in like the supermarket in season one. You know what I mean? So it's like so I'm always interested in how that progression happened or like, you know, any discussion. What we did like, even in that season one where there were bits and pieces of just total defeat, you know, coming out of his mouth. We knew that there was something there, and that's what we wanted to work on. That was what we wanted to develop. We kind of went into that with our eyes open. Okay, so you wanted to explore that more. Okay, yeah. Um, so, do you did you when coming onto this interview? Did you um, 
check out the podcast to uh, hear anything we did before you came on? Well, I, 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 when I listened to the uh, episode Amanda did, and uh, I think a couple more, yeah. What did you uh, th- What did you think of our analysis and you know discussion? Like uh... that's kind of what we felt. We you know, we we wanted people to have fun with this, you know, yeah, because that, that's what it's all about. Oh, yeah. At least it was for us, anyway. <laughs> definitely, and we definitely do have a lot of fun doing this. So you, you've touched on this already, but can you give us any examples of? real life things that have happened to you that made it into married with children you know for example you're married and you have children i mean right. did anything happen but, in yeah. your life prior to married with children that inspired the storyline the uh, the story that was closest to exactly what what happened to me if you remember the show the episode with al hearing a song that he liked yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> That was, I'm sure they still don't do it because, you know, the radio has changed totally. But back then, uh, I'm sure you remember FM stations would play would play music. They would play like 20 in a row, uninterrupted. And they, and they thought as if they were doing you a favor. Now you get that oldie station back on or the walls will be your tombs. <laughs> All of you! <laughs> oh come on Al The chances of them playing that song Are a million to one It just Go with him Go with him Go with him Go with him That must be the name of my song Groovy song wasn't it You know a lot of people think the name of that song is Go with him But it's not <laughs> What is it What is it Well here's our third song of 5,000 in a row <laughs> Two full years of uninterrupted music. This is Rick Cool, the fifth monkey, heading home to his depressing studio apartment on the Poe side of town. He's Rick Cool for the middle age. But because they were playing 20 in a row, if the song that you really, really liked was song seven, you would have to wait an hour and a half. And they still wouldn't tell you who it was by. They would just go into <laughs> a commercial, and then another 40 in a row. I had gone through that torture. Um, <laughs> a song that I liked. And uh, listening to a radio station that played zillions in a row and never, ever telling me the title or the <laughs> artist of the song that I liked. And I would ha- literally go from person to person humming the song, asking if they knew it. <laughs> That was one thing that uh, of my life, personally, that uh, got into the show. This didn't happen to me, but it happened to another one of the uh, writers on the show. You remember the iconic uh, Santa Claus falling in the backyard? Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, uh, that actually happened to one of the writers uh, of the show uh, when he was a child. Wow. It absolutely, oh. it a- absolutely scarred him for life. Oh my god. 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 Hey, Peg. You know what we ought to do tonight? We ought to make some Christmas cookies. Oh, yeah, and maybe some eggnog with nutmeg. Mm. You ghouls. <laughs> 
you understand? There's a splattered Santa all over your yard. What do you want me to do, Steve? Quit eating? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Could you keep her quiet? We're trying to have a Christmas here. Well, that about wraps it up out there. Except for a few questions for the coroner's report, if you don't mind. Uh, did you uh, know the deceased? Well, you know, I've read about him in books. But in books, he's usually going up. <laughs> so that's a no. Did anyone actually see him fall? Well, I wish. You know, uh, son, I don't want you to get confused here, okay? Uh, the real Santa would have never jumped out of a plane with a bottle of muscatel in each hand. <laughs> no, the real Santa, he's alive and well, and he's living at the North Pole, and he'll visit your house real soon. I'm sure he'll find it. Shouldn't be too hard. Just follow the buzzards. <laughs> he, uh, oh, my God. As a child, you know, he apparently went to the mall because of Santa was going to be dropped out of a, I think, out of a plane or a helicopter or something and to bring toys and all of that. And uh, his shoes didn't open and he, and he died. Jesus. Where did, he, where did he land in real life? It, I think in the mall parking lot or something like that. Oh, and, God. And there were like hundreds, there were hundreds, hundreds of kids there. I mean, this is in front of, this is, this is in front of all, these, all these kids. And, uh, you know, and we had to, that was a gimme. We had to do that. I mean, because who else could that happen to but Al, you know? <laughs> the uh, neutering of the dog episode, that was mm -hmm. another gimme. You know, that's something that uh, you know, a, a couple of us actually went through. Still mad at me because I got you neutered, huh? What, do you want me to dance for joy? <laughs> Bring your pipe and slippers? Roll over so you can rub my belly and see my shame? You know, I thought you were supposed to be more affectionate. Yeah, right. Why don't you poke my eyes out? Maybe that'd do it. <laughs> yeah, not this year, honey. Yeah, that was a great idea to have Buck come, like, as a real person and talk to Al. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We, we had fun with the episode. That was pretty much of a gimme, too, because that is a big, that is a meaningful event in any guy's life. When he has oh, to yeah. his dog. <laughs> now, how can you not cringe and have feelings about that? A lot of our shows did come from uh, little bits and pieces of the lives of... Uh, the writers, the crew, things like that. We would very seldom get uh, storylines from, you know, newspapers or things, mm -hmm. things, things like that. Most of uh, a lot of the episodes came from uh, real life. Now we were, certainly would go and spike the ball, but uh, at least it would start pretty grounded in reality. Right. Yeah. 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 So in in the shows that we've. Uh, as we analyze them, you know, there's a lot of references to TV shows from the past throughout the whole run of the show, especially if the yeah. series wore on. So were these references done consciously or is it just organically as part of the writing process? They were pretty much, they were pretty much done consciously. Remember, we were all thin children of uh, the television generation. You know, there's some shows that are, near and dear to our heart, to Al's heart. 
um, there's some shows that they stick out because we, quite frankly, can't stand them. This must be quite a moment for your father. He's in there breaking in the Ferguson as we speak. Must be having fun. He's been in there for over an hour. How was it, Al? I don't know, Peg. I'm constipated. <laughs> this is the worst day of my life. I wonder if this ever happened to Dad. Do you want me to undercook you some chicken, honey? No, but thanks anyway, Peg. It'll take something a lot stronger than raw chicken to get me fixed up. And now, stay tuned for the rest of our exciting ABC lineup. Roseanne, Moonlighting, and the award-winning 30-something. <laughs> but they make they make an impression they are part of your life one of the ep episodes uh, another one that was my favorite it was just part of the story was uh, a Christmas episode when Al was trying to uh, watch television and all of these just horrible Christmas specials were on at the time. And now, for your Christmas viewing pleasure, Channel 2 presents... Anything but It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, right. Right after It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, look. It's a Wonderful Life. I hate this movie. How can you hate It's a Wonderful Life? Because it's a horrible life. <laughs> you know the reason they never made a sequel? Because when the guy came back, he killed himself. <laughs> and this time he took that angel with him. This must be written by a woman. This stinks, it bites, it blows. <laughs> right, every, right. Every, you know, <laughs> yeah. Every, every show he turned to. And now, who of us have not gone through that? You know, and this, we, this is um, this is before uh, Die Hard, which they consider a Christmas movie, which they'll run, actually run at Christmas. So I guess guys can watch TV. But before that, some of the shows, you know, they would dig up these uh, you know, actors and make them a variety show, and it would be, you know, a Christmas special by some guy that you can't remember, you never heard of. That we tried to uh, you know, capitalize on the difficulty of watching television. We, and we make several references, both good and bad, to television because uh, that's what people do. Yeah. You, know, that's, uh, you know, that's how people sometimes relate to each other, to what they've seen on television. Yeah. And we've also found through our analysis and, and through the fandom that there's a lot of high culture literary references and Married with Children is often considered by many as a show that's very lowbrow, mm. et cetera. Yeah. A lot of high culture literary references. I mean, was that done consciously in terms of the style of how the show should be, should, would be written or was it just how it, it comes out in the writing process? A little bit how it comes out in the writing process. You know, our writing staff had a varied background Dad, I've got this book report due and, um, oh God, what do you call it? The subject with the words. English? Yeah. <laughs> so I've got this book report for tomorrow on Moby Dick and I've been like reading it for an hour and I got stumped on something. Could you help me? 
What? Call who, Ishmael? Ah, <laughs> uh, me. Kelly, look, we got a million-dollar computer sitting over here. Why don't you do your report on it? I tried. I turned it on, and I typed in Ishmael. You know what it said to me, Dad? Ishmael. <laughs> and even spelled it wrong. Ron and I did try to make it a point to associate with writers who had difficulty on other shows. Those were the type of writers we wanted, um, that we liked. All different backgrounds, all different parts of America. You never know what would come out of some of the writers' mouths. Now, if you want to talk about comedy, you should have seen, been in some of our lunch meetings and just listen mm. to us. Just listen I to us. I would love to. Just listen to us banter. It it was it was it was insane. But uh, a lot of the uh, literary references came because we actually had some pretty literate writers on the show, hmm. and of course we had our low brows too. See, the first anniversary is paper, and since paper isn't all that romantic, I got our tickets for two to Hawaii. Well, now please don't tell her. I want it to be a surprise. Ah, uh, don't worry. I can keep a secret. Oh, by the way, Al, that little rubber donut you ordered came in yesterday. <laughs> Al's got roids, you know. <laughs> well, you're obviously sitting pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all about equality, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And can you just touch on the writing process a little bit more? I mean, for example... One person would be credited as writing an episode, say Stacey Lip or whoever, but mm. would she, would it be more collaborative than that? Would she write an entire episode then with your input as you've sort of touched on, or would it be sort of everybody and someone has the main story idea? Well, it's, it's really someone would have the main story, like uh, Stacey would have the main story idea or something, or Larry or whoever would have the main story idea. And it was very collaborative. It was very Dick Van Dyke-like. We would, we would all sit around and uh, we would uh, rewrite the show together. So we had people who were better at story. We had people who were better at jokes. It really became very much a collaborative effort. That's how, that's, that's how show, shows would be done. It actually got to almost be done by rote. After a while, when in the show, we know we knew you know how long it should run. We got pretty good at. It. We didn't. Uh, that's because uh, writing staff didn't change as much as most writing staff. We kind of kept our people. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk collaboration, I'm thinking the development and the characters and how the the collaboration of the actors themselves. So when you envisioned. Bud and Kelly. When you saw what Bud and Kelly became compared to what you envisioned, were you even happier with what they evolved to compared to how you originally saw them? Yes. You know, uh, originally we played Bud as a little bit more of a right-wing, serious type of kid who was destined to become a high-ranking military official one day. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, because that's we, that, that's the bud that we actually envisioned. The Kelly we envisioned is the Kelly that, you know, that a lot of parents have. She's the uh, the teenager who uh, 
is uh, in love with the uh, scum of the earth boy. <laughs> the next week there'll be another scum of the earth boy, but they'll all be scum of the earth, and she uh, and she loves them. Well, I can see by the stars on the wall. It's time to go. See you, Kelly. Thanks a lot, Dad. Now I'll never know his name. <laughs> that was good. That was the way we envisioned Kelly. It, it was only in Bud's mind that maybe, especially early on, that she was uh, as promiscuous as uh, Bud would portray her. Because, God, if she was as promiscuous as Bud thought she was, we'd have to quarantine everything he touched. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you brought this up. Because we noticed that Kelly was way more, even in reality, if I, I don't want to say promiscuous. We don't know, uh, you know, so it's vague what she actually did with these guys. We don't know if it went further than her making out on the couch until, you know, she got bored of them or whatever. But we noticed that you really scaled back, like majorly, with the whole boyfriend thing and the boy toy and the jokes about the sailors in the bedroom and tossing quarters and stuff. Like, why Why did you do that? Did Was that something that Christina Applegate said, you know, I, I'm not exactly crazy about how I'm being portrayed. Do you think we could kind of make me more normal? Or, like, did anybody say this should be done? Or Well, we, we, we pulled back a little bit because, again, going with the uh, perception versus reality thing. You know, it had gotten to a point where we couldn't go much further. I mean, Bud couldn't go much further. With the, uh, the the you know the the shots with Kelly early on we uh, we tried we really did try to pull back because you got to remember for a great deal of the show Christina was under eighteen right you know and Kelly was under eighteen so I mean, so we actually couldn't or wouldn't uh, have Kelly live up to her or down to her reputation in Bud's mind after a while although the audience really you know got off on it and. Uh, Christine did not seem to mind the uh, the jokes about it, but after a while, uh, it almost seemed to be that hey, you know, people and people are really believing this. That's something we didn't want because that automatically makes it less funny, right? If you, you know, if she's called a tramp and she really is a tramp, then that's really not funny. But uh, so we so we did try to pull it back and. Uh, and try to get more mileage out of uh, just her being an idiot. Oh, hey, Kel. What are you doing outside fully clothed? I'm waiting for the mail. I'm expecting an invitation to join Alpha. You know that club for smart people? Kel, you need a real high IQ to join Alpha. I've been turned down for that. Yeah, that and everything else in the world. Seriously, Kel, what are you doing outside? Did you get this far and you can't find the house? <laughs> laugh on, goo boy. But remember, he who laughs last laughs west. <laughs> now, I happen to meet a guy who's a member. He 
He had me fill out some forms and said if I qualified. Hi, Mr. Mailman. He said if I qualified that I'd be getting an invitation to the new members party today in the mail. That's party. Let me explain the concept to you. You know when you line up your toy soldiers and put cupcakes in front of them? It's kind of like that, but with real people. I just wish the damn mail would come. <laughs> right, yeah, that really ramped up around, what, season six was like her greatest idiot phase ever, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we, yeah we thought we'd have a little bit more fun with that for a while. <laughs> yeah, great. So there's like a sort of maybe infamous story about you weren't crazy about the guy uh, who played Luke Ventura in season one. Like you didn't like his approach to the character or something like that. And he was he was dropped. Is that something that you kind of regretted because you eventually in season eight experimented with a sidekick for Al in the form of Aaron and then another one hit wonder Dexter and then it finally morphed into Griff. So did you, were, were you kind of bummed out that you didn't like how he portrayed Luke, but you still wanted Al to have that kind of camaraderie with a guy in the shoe store? We d- definitely did. But we knew from the beginning that Al and Luke could uh, never be friends because uh, the way we portrayed Luke, uh, single, you know, our playboy the exact opposite of really Al Bundy. You know, I haven't done something like this in a long time. Yeah, kick back with a buddy and a six pack and be men. You know, Luke, I, this is really helping me out. Thanks a lot. Hey, the day Luke Ventura can't help a friend, that's the day he's got something better to do. We can only go so far with that. That was a relationship that really didn't work with Al. These guys didn't have anything really to talk about, anything in common. And so we kind of just sort of let that go. We, later on, we, uh, you know, wanted to give Al a sidekick, you know, to throw somebody to talk to, or, you know, really a reason, uh, more of a reason to do some shoe store stuff, you know. So we did consciously give him uh, a sidekick. I'm just here because I don't have any other place to go. (laughs) I used to have a place to go. (laughs) Then I got divorced. Now I got two places I don't go. (laughs) Yep. Divorced. She got the house, the car, the money. I got the right to remain silent. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we did uh, experiment with uh, some guys until, you know, we found Griff, and uh, later on we found all the no ma'am guys, and you know, there's. And so Al had his uh, circle of buddies. Tonight's broadcast of the masculine feminist has been commandeered by the secret society No Ma'am. National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. I would reveal my true identity, but for political reasons, I cannot. But do not take me lightly. I once scored four touchdowns in a single game for Pokemon. Every day for the past 30 years, you high-heeled pit bulls have blamed us for everything. 
from not being able to get into Harvard to not being able to get into stretch pants. Yeah! yeah. We, we've been called pigs! We've been called scum! We've even been called plywood bottom. <laughs> right. Mm. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. I like that Griff was... It's pretty much a divorced version of Al. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I always liked that. Mm-hmm. So, looking back today, I mean, is there something on the show that you wouldn't do today that you had no problem doing back in the day? I mean, I very recently I had the great fortune and pleasure to talk very briefly to Ed O'Neill. He was doing a live chat online and mm. he was asked that question and he said, oh, no, we, we made fun of women's weight and we talked about midget tossing and things mm. like that. So I'm just wondering what you think today, looking back. I, I'm not sure if there's anything that, you know, that I would temper other than uh, or anything that I really, really regret doing. Because in my mind, you know, hey, look, we're, we're, we're having fun here. Yeah. You know, we're all having fun here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the people who uh, want to make this a cause, want to take this seriously, the, you know, the Terry Ricoltas of the world, <laughs> you know, that's their thing. My, I, my, my feeling is, you know, if you're threatened by a fictional shoe salesman, then you don't have much of an ego to stand on anyway. So <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, there's, nothing, there's nothing we can talk about, really. You know, if, uh, if we're going to bring up, what Al Bundy says, we're going to really, really um, dissect that and talk about what's that, what that's doing to Western civilization. <laughs> then I, I say, then let Western civilization go. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, we didn't want to get into censorship and, and the Terry Recolters of the world, but I just thought it was interesting. I mean, as mm. the show, as the years go on, it's always curious to look back. The show has been reshot and dubbed and remade all around the world in many different languages. There's mm-hmm. there's a very popular Russian remake and there's Spanish, German, Italian, etc. Have you seen any of these remakes? And I'm just wondering what your thoughts on those were. I've seen I've seen a couple of them. You know, not knowing the culture of a lot of these countries because you know it's really hard for me to make a, you know a judgment because in the making of married with children we were trying to ad- address a segment of society that we felt were basically under addressed i mean the you know the, the segment of society that uh, that really uh, you know didn't weren't represented at all in television and do other countries have classes like that? I'm sure there's people in uh, you know, other countries that hate their jobs. And I think in order for the show to really work and to really resonate with people, you got to kind of hit them at home. You've got to kind of get them to say, you know what? That's just how my uncle is. That's just what my aunt was like. That's just what my family was like. They, you know, they, you've got to kind of give them something to identify with. Mm-hmm. I think this what helps give the show staying power that this was basically a show that was really dedicated to the blue collar 
and uh, by the blue collar, and they weren't really being addressed um, in television then. Right. And to me, everybody was a doctor and a lawyer and had 27 kids and <laughs> sweaters and things like that. <laughs> so we, we, you know, we, but we wanted to, uh, you know, give a show, a shout out to uh, the guys who didn't live up to that. So you think I'm a loser? Just because I have a stinking job that I hate? A family that doesn't respect me? A whole city that curses the day I was born? Well, that may mean loser to you, but let me tell you something. Every morning when I wake up, I know it's not going to get any better until I go back to sleep again. So I get up, have my watered-down tang and still frozen Pop-Tart, get in my car with no upholstery, no gas, and six more payments to fight traffic just for the privilege of putting cheap shoes on the cloven hooves of people like you. <laughs> I'll never play football like I thought I would. I'll never know the touch of a beautiful woman. And I'll never again know the joy of driving without a bag on my head. <laughs> but I'm not a loser. Because despite it all, me and every other guy who will never be what he wanted to be are still out there being what we don't want to be 40 hours a week for life. And the fact that I haven't put a gun in my mouth, you pudding of a woman, <laughs> makes me a winner. And uh, so we gave a family that, that we could all live up to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... And if they, if they have that type of situation in other countries, that I think that's what you need if you're going to do a married with children-esque show. You can't leave that out. you got to remember who you're uh, playing to. Mm-hmm. You know, I have seen, there was a country that remaking Married with Children. I just remember the character of Marcy looked absolutely nothing <laughs> like him. Like, I mean, I do remember that one. Um, <laughs> I am flattered that everyone everyone took the time that uh, <laughs> they either they see the necessity in a show something like this that they saw the importance. Well, I, I hope they paid you at least. I I would have no idea, and I <laughs> have no idea in what currency. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you got paid in yen. You were like, "What do I do with this?" Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. So, what about? today i mean what are you watching on tv today and do you still keep in touch with all the the cast and crew from from back then on on television today i i hardly watch anything i watch sports mma i watch boxing i hear more from uh the uh some of the crew i still keep in touch with them every once in a while i would i heard from uh, faustino you know, yeah, I kept in touch with him um, the most, I'd say, because uh, there was talk uh, a decade or so ago of uh, doing a show with him. Yeah, um, what was it, Married with grand? wait, Grandchildren, what was it called? Married with Grandchildren, I feel right, right. right. That's, so. <laughs> that's what people have named it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was talk of doing a show uh, with him, and so I wanted to keep in touch with him. You know, every once in a while, again, um, years years ago, not so much anymore, thankfully, um, there would be talk of uh, 
bringing the cast back, doing a reunion, this, doing a movie, this, doing you know something like that. Fortunately, not anymore. I think uh, I think the best thing that uh, happened to the show is that they never tried to bring it back, or they never, yeah. did, or they never did bring it back. Well, yeah, everybody. There's always a debate with that, like supposedly it's all tied up in legal tape and then other people are like well who'd want to see that now all sanitized and safe and pc and like what's the point of that and you know so a lot of people do feel that um it's better off just left alone and remain great in all of our eyes and and, you know not something that came back and was like a big flop or whatever and then other people are like well you know it could have went right to netflix and then they could done whatever they want you know so you know there's always a debate on whether or not that should happen but just just knowing that people will continue to debate that like how does it feel to have your body of work that is now considered immortal like there's countless fans of honeymooners for example who've watched its 39 episodes hundreds of times in the last 70 years and with the same level of intensity that they saw the, the first time and like what goes through your head when you think there will be people 30 years from now and even 300 years from now you know people that are still enjoying the 259 episodes of your show i think what's the most flattering for me is that the uh, memories that it brings these people the uh, the absolute joy of their own lives that the times were different they see a certain episode, it reminds them of something that happened to them. We weren't as sensitive, we weren't as uh, offended at everything. And it just brings you back to, uh, yeah, I was going to school, I remember this guy, I remember this girl, I remember this. I, I, that's what's the most flattering to me, is that is the memories that it makes me. And they're almost always good memories. Right. right. You know, people, are, you know, uh, when they see the show, it all brings... It always makes them think of happier times, whether though though, the, though it may be the cast of the show they're watching, but it make brings back happier times for them too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's uh, what sticks out as far as as far as I'm concerned. I think bringing it back, um, you know, I think when people want you know the people that do think that it should come back, I think they what they don't think is I think they want it to come back frozen in time. They want the cast to be like they want Bud and Kelly to be teenagers again. <laughs> um, they want Al, you know, Al to be the same age, Peg to be the same age. That nothing has changed, and we can just go on with season twelve, thirteen. Well, you, you know, you got to remember in, in reality, Al and Peg are, are are much older now, and it's not a, quite as funny to have somebody out in age. And not wanting to sleep with his wife, <laughs> right? You know, it's it's sort of not as funny as it used to be. Well, it, it was then, funny because people are like, "Wow, Peg's kind of attractive. What's wrong with this guy?" But I know. If they're both seventy, it's like, well, yeah, of course he doesn't yeah. want to, and he he probably can't even perform anyways. What's the difference? <laughs> so, Kelly being fifty and being an idiot, you right. know, funny. <laughs> Um, so those who would like it to come back now, I think they want it to come back as it was. Right. Yeah. Which, which even we can't do. <laughs> you know? so, I'm happy the way uh, things turned out. You know, the uh, as I said, the best thing that could have happened is uh, it uh, being the timestamp that it was. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, much like Al Bundy himself, people don't like change. No, no, you don't. What do you have to say to people like us who have been diehard and faithful fans for of your work for over 30 years now. Um, I mean, the least we can say to you is thank you for having made us and continue to make us laugh. Well, that's what, you know, for me, that's pretty much what it's all about, you know, is uh, making, making you laugh, making you happy and uh, not uh, beating you over the head with an issue or or morality play every week or or a family that's, actually stuck together and moves in a pack. Um, that's what the goal was for me, uh, to, make every, to make everybody happy. I, I, of course, never would have dreamed anything like this, you know, that we'd be carrying on for all these years and decades. But, man, I, you know, I'm happy to see it. Yeah, especially this intensely. Yeah. I, I love... Uh, be, you know, one of my favorite things to do as far as re- married is uh, like when uh, I on YouTube is like the comments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love reading the comments, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and all the positivity and uh, the fans being diehard, the quoting of lines. I, I, I love that. <laughs> what about after you left? married with children and you know in terms of your personal life did did anything ever happen to you that made you think back to your time on the show did you have your own Al Bundy moment I got married with children (laughs) that that happened I'm sure you know had I been uh, married with children while the show was going on I might have had one or two more ideas those were that was the biggest thing that uh, happened that 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 took me that took me back to the show but but hopefully you ended up with a girl more like Angie than Peg, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, fortunately that turned out that turned out all right. But I would I would I would have been prepared had it not. You know? <laughs> um, mo- mo- most of the uh, other writers and producers were either married with children or in long term relationships during the show. So we didn't live the life. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories that uh, of how raunchy behind the scenes married was, and that's absolutely not true. Yeah, you you would be surprised that uh, actually how child friendly, kid friendly a week on the set was. We, we, I mean, we did have our more memorable weeks. You know, the week. We, week to two weeks, we had Sam Kinison, for example. <laughs> hey, buddy, you all right? Looking for uh, an Al Bundy? Do you know an Al Bundy? I'm Al Bundy. No! Oh, would you stop playing Nintendo up there for a minute? What kind of mess have you got me into? What have you done to me? (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't think that was too kid friendly, right? <laughs> no, that 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 was special. Um, <laughs> but uh, most of the time, we were pretty uh, tight to the vest. I mean, we were we were not at all as crazed uh, as uh, you know we've gotten the reputation for. I mean, I'm sure it could have gone that way, but it didn't. Right. You know. You mentioned your your wife um, and the characters she played on the show, Angie. We've recently covered season eight, and that episode and her character is is a favorite amongst us, the fans. And so, um, what are her thoughts and remembrances from her appearance? And you know, if she's available, we'd love to have her on the air. But <laughs> perhaps she's mentioned it to you. I, from what I've talked to her about the the workings of the show was uh, what uh, she remembers most. She uh, had done episodes for other television shows and things like that. And what amazed her, and I guess this is because of uh, Ron and my uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, is that the show was run so tight that we actually would we would, we would start, we were supposed to start, we would finish when we were supposed to, to be finished. Now, that may not seem like much because on most jobs, that's really the norm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you, know, you know, television, you know, some of these guys will sit there half the night and work on this and change this and work and hone this and that. And people are sitting around until sunup. You know, trying to get the show in the can. We we didn't we didn't do that. None of us thought we were funny. You know, at twelve and one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we didn't want to, we 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 didn't want that. So, you know, when I talked to uh, when I talked to Rose, that's what she said she remembers the most because we were the about the only show that really that ran like that. They 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 asked the character you played on the show. About, and, and, and what you remember most about them. I had the pleasure of hi everybody hey. hi I, have, I know you guys are trying to get off it's been a long evening you've talked this man horse which is rare because he doesn't speak much um, <laughs> yeah I had the pleasure of playing the perfect woman on Married with Children my big weakness is the Roy Rogers salad bar not that the food is bad I just feel guilty about spending $1.99 on myself Listen, don't take this personally, but would you marry me? My wife wouldn't like it. She doesn't like anything I like. (laughs) You're cute. Well, I better go or I'll be late for work. You work? gonna do sit around the house all day watching oprah and eating bonbons <laughs> yep yeah, yeah and you, did. you know what and I, I i thought it was a precursor to our relationship but uh he pegged me really quickly <laughs> <laughs> he, found, he found all the little things that to complain about very much l like and i will say i don't know if you said this to you when you guys were talking because i actually left so that he can have the space to himself. But yeah, the hand down the pants, the whole situation, it's real. <laughs> it's real. That, That's that, awesome. That, by the way, came from my father. Oh, wow. 
Oh, wow. So right. That's, so that's, a, so that, that's, that's several generations, hands down the pants. That's craziness. Yeah, well. Well, you sound exactly the same. That's amazing. You know, and he and, and thank you. I was actually going to sneak off in another room and send you a quick um, note of thanks because he doesn't talk a lot about it. It's one of those things he keeps close to his heart, his married with children days. Mm-hmm. So for him to even respond, and got that you know how long it took me to actually get him to acknowledge that you were a real <laughs> person that he would actually speak to. He did his research on you guys. So wow. for him to actually take this interview was amazing. And to have him sit and talk for so long about Mary is amazing because it's really one of those things he keeps close to his heart because it was such yeah. a fun time for him. And thank you for bringing him out of his shell a little bit because this was super special. Oh, it's, it's it's immeasurably special to us. And thank you for getting him onto it. And thank you to uh, our teammate and cohort, Chris Gunter, to, for yeah. uh, approaching you in the first place. I mean, Chris is a... I know, a, right? A guy. I'm not a techie. I'm not a techie. So the fact that his note even came through was a miracle. <laughs> no, I, I mean, this is it, very yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, It is super cool. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, we we know what what you did tonight, and we totally are so grateful. Uh, believe me, you did it to people who truly, truly appreciate it. <laughs> you, you made my year. You know, that little eleven year old kid that was watching this show in his living room in in the late eighties, early nineties, just falling in love with these characters and get tapping into that humor at such a young age. I can't even express to you what this means to me. And I know Annabelle feels the same and Luigi, who's running the show behind the scenes right now. Like, never, you know, when I started this podcast, I just, I wanted to represent you and I wanted to put your show out there and just show people that it is a viable source of entertainment today. Looking back on it 30 years later, like we started the show in 2017, exactly 30 years after you did it, after it premiered. It's just as important now, and it's just as, you know, important to look back on it 30 years and see, like I said, how well it's held up. And, you know, under scrutiny, nothing, nothing does anything to this show. It is, like, untouchable. And we just really want to tell you how much we appreciate all you've done, you and Ron, how you put this together. It's magic. It's lightning in a bottle. And, uh... We're just so grateful. Words cannot say enough. Totally appreciate it. Like I said, yeah. I'm very flattered. I'm very humbled at uh, what this has all become. So I'm uh, hoping for future success for both of us. All <laughs> thank of you, us, man. You know? Yeah, upward yeah. and onward. And I just want to thank you, Michael, from the bottom of my heart. I'm absolutely touched that you did this today. Well, I'm glad to have been here. I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, we we hope you had a good time too, man. Yeah, yeah. Like I said this is uh, all fun. You get you get it. You get it. You don't. You know <laughs> exactly. You, you know, Michael. This is Luigi. I just yeah, wanted to yeah. let you know. How are you, Luigi? I'm doing great. Thanks. Alex started this podcast, but I don't know if you know what Annabelle has done for the Married with Children community worldwide. Since the mid to late 90s, she has been an online presence and resource to the thousands of fans with her own website. She has collected lots of show artifacts and runs the Married with Children unofficial Facebook page. Uh, 
I remember being in college in 1996, 1997 in New York City and looking at her content back then. I don't think there is anyone who would argue that she is the world's number one super fan. Yeah, you told me. Yeah. All the podcast hosts are super fans, but she is definitely our queen. (laughs) And I also want to let you know that you just made a not quite yet nine-year-old kid from April 5th, 1987. Very happy tonight with this interview. I can't wipe the smile from my face. And I also want to let you know that the first time I saw the show, I got the joke. All right. Yeah, we we need more of you. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, we, we need, need more, more of, you. of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yep. Have a oh. good night, Michael. Luigi here, and this has been a very special edition of the Married with Children podcast. The entire team would all like to thank Mr. Michael G. Moyer and his wife, Rose Jackson Moyer, for their extreme generosity with their time with us and answering all of our questions. Special thanks in particular to our co-host, Chris Gunther, for having contacted them and doing all the communications and arrangements with both of them. We tried to ask Michael some questions that were off the beaten path in terms of things we wanted to know regarding the show and were above honored and flattered that he patiently volunteered to answer all of them. If you are interested in hearing more from Michael, a simple search of YouTube will allow you to see more interviews that he has done over the years. We hope you found this interview to be as in-depth as we thought it was. Thanks again to the podcast team of Stephen, Tyler, Chris, Matt, Annabelle, and of course Alex for drafting the questions. This interview has truly been a team effort. On behalf of the current podcast team, we all want to thank this podcast's founder, Alex, for creating this podcast and supporting us as caretakers of his creation. Many thanks also for coming out of his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico to lead and edit this landmark episode for posterity. We would not be here today if it wasn't for you, Alex. Michael did say on his interview that he reads YouTube comments, so we welcome you all to like this episode on the YouTube platform and write a few words to him about what this show means to you. We can't guarantee that he will respond to your comments, but we do know that he will get joy from reading them. If you like listening to the Married with Children podcast, please give us a like on your favorite podcast listening platform or YouTube. If you can, please support our Patreon with a modest monthly contribution. Otherwise, we hope you continue to tune in. As always, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Bad Americans. (laughs) Must be Shakespeare. Taming of the shrew, I believe. Would you like a drink or a spanking?
One more 